welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. This is Jay Dostal, and I am excited to have this next guest on the podcast because uh, she's my sister, and uh, we get to talk a lot uh, about education at family events, but I thought she'd be a perfect opportunity. I, th- I thought this would be a perfect opportunity for uh, her to share her voice and her story about her experiences in education. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? My name is Lynn, and this is my 23rd year teaching, and I have wore several different hats in my experience. I've been in the same district my entire career, but I started off as a student teacher in fourth grade, and then in middle school, math, science, and social studies and then accepted my first teaching job as a middle school math teacher. And after that, I transitioned into a role of the district technology team and was part of helping roll out laptops to students in kindergarten through eighth grade. The high school already had laptops and I was a technology integration specialist. So. I did that for a few years, and my latest role is working with our students in the area of gifted and talented education. I like to say just enrichment because gifted and talented has some, I guess, connotations that go with it that may or may not be positive. So I just like to say I provide students with enrichment opportunities despite their test scores or despite whether or not they're labeled as gifted. That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I think that kids are kids and adults are gifted in a variety of ways. In fact, uh, if you and I were to talk to our mom, she would tell us that we're gifted in certain ways where we don't necessarily think they're gifts, but <laughs> they are what they are. Um, yes, and in the gifted world, we have lots of ways to identify students' um, abilities, but um, most of the time it boils down to a test that identifies a reading or a literature talent or a math talent, a science talent, and what's overlooked a lot of times are just, you know, talents with social emotional skills and talents with arts and talents with, you know, music and service. There's so many things we can't measure on a test. So I'm really proud of the work that the team that I work on has done over the last couple of years to kind of gray those areas of labels when it comes to gifted and talented. That's so cool. Um, I want to circle back to something you had mentioned uh, when you first started. So uh, one of the ongoing conversations that I've had on this podcast is uh, you know, talking with people who have been at various different levels. And 
um, you know, my story is I've always been in high schools. I've never been anywhere else than high school. And I've been in multiple districts, whereas you have been in the same district your entire career and primarily at the middle level. And so was middle level education something you were always, I mean, is that where you were geared towards and, and, and why so? My uh, two undergrad degrees are in elementary education and then middle school education. And it was one of my classes in Kearney where I took a middle school methods class at one of the middle schools there with a principal at the middle school teaching the class. And that's where my heart really um, opened to the idea of teaching middle school because that's where I did learn to have a uh, a love for math. I had some great middle school math teachers, and so that's when I decided that I wanted to teach middle school versus elementary. But I will say that the elementary methods classes that I had in that degree really helped me more than anything because that's what methods courses do for you in elementary is they teach you how to teach. And so I wasn't a content master in math or science or social studies but I learned some really important ways to teach those concepts to students. It's so interesting that you, you say that because I have conversations with high school teachers all the time um, about how kids don't begin to hate school as they go to high school. It's the type of instruction and the type of engagement and the type of involvement that they have in their education where you know at the elementary level they are all over the place and they're just they have this zest and this excitement for learning and then you know obviously you get to the middle age years and hormones come into place but they're still relatively excited and then they get to high school and all of a sudden you know you start seeing that uh, that flame uh, flame extinguish and so um, and I'm sure you see that with your own boys as they're growing up. I know I've seen it a little bit with my kids, but, um, but again, I go back to Intel high school teachers a lot that we have a lot to learn from our elementary counterparts because those kids are on fire in elementary. And if we can just you know, capture just a little bit of that magic at the high school level, there's a lot of things that could, that could happen. Yeah, my eyes were completely opened when I took my middle school role and transitioned into the district technology role. And right away, looking at these elementary teachers, I was blown away. They work their tails off. They work all day long with the same kids all day long. So they don't have the luxury of saying bye after 40 minutes, you know, and just some of the most passionate um, teachers at that level. And um, love what they do and um, like you said light fires for kids to you know take off in so many different directions and the kids have this level of confidence and then they come up and you know I saw it in middle school they thought that they were bad at math it's like why do you think that well they let's say they didn't have their ma uh, math facts on time in fourth grade, they couldn't get their division facts in a certain amount of time. And I'm looking back now, and even how I teach now, it's like, you know what? Some of these things that I used to teach as a middle school math teacher as being so, so important. And, you know, I, you know, made such a big deal about really are not. And it's, you know, just how you frame things as, you know, a teacher and, and the importance of certain skills that I thought were so important back then. They're still important, but just the confidence level of kids and 
I mean, you can see it in adults. I ask adults all the time, or they tell me all the time, I hate math. Why do you hate math? Oh, in high school, I had this teacher, you know, or in college, I had this, you know, it's, it's never an elementary teacher that turned them off to math. <laughs> it's usually a middle school or high school or teacher when it got, you know, harder and they didn't maybe know how to teach it it's so to a different learner. Yeah. It's so interesting you bring that up because, uh, you know, your, your area is math and science. My area is in English. And I, I mean, I love the English side of things. And I, I have said on multiple occasions that, you know, I wasn't the greatest math student. I can still do it. Um, it's just not a passion of mine. And I know whenever I engage in those conversations with math people in particular, you know, they, they, it's like a burr in their saddle right now. Like everybody can do math. Yeah. And every single one of the teachers I talked to would say, I want to go back into that person's life and find out where math ended up getting this negative thing, uh, negative perception in this individual kid's mind. And more times than not, as you said, it's at that middle and high school level where it gets really hard. And, you know, going back to something you said before, it, it's, it's not apples to apples when we start talking about elementary to middle or even middle to high school. You know, uh, high school folks have 150 kids and they have, uh, the content is much more difficult. And so it, it just, it, it really does no good for a comparison because uh, everybody is filling a role that they uh, that they have in the organization and they're doing their part. Um, I just think that a lot of people get frustrated and stressed and have a lot of anxiety when they start doing the comparison with one another. Well, and I'll be the first to say that as a middle school teacher, I did that finger pointing like, what are you elementary teachers doing? They're coming into middle school and they don't know this, that, or the other. And then I went to the elementary level and they were absolutely teaching those things. It was just that I was giving them permission to forget as a middle school teacher. And I think even high school too, they like to point the fingers down to the next level. And it's just a matter of someone else speaking and teaching the concept, maybe using a different language and just owning that. Yeah, it might be different, but I'm not going to give you permission to forget because now I know you, you had this in fourth grade. You just need to have a little refresher. But I think all too often we, or I should say I, I let the kids forget and I trusted them and then I made them go through the motions and learn it again. Like somehow I was going to teach it better and they would learn it. And in reality, I look back now and I think I turned a lot more kids off during my middle school math teaching years because I neglected what they probably already knew from elementary. They just needed a little bit of a different um, outlook on it and I shouldn't have Anyway, lots of things I could change, but seeing the bigger picture, being at different levels, whether that's in the same building, same district, whatever, but you find out kids are kids, no matter where you go, and the content, you know, looks a little bit different in how you teach it. So I, I just really appreciate having to have that lens of all the grade levels. Well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, in a recent conversation with uh, Melanie, my wife, uh, you know, we were talking about the exact same thing. She's actually, uh, when she was teaching the young adult transition program, 18 to 21, it was actually taking a place right across the hall from the uh, pre-K room. Mm -hmm. And so she's actually had the experiences of pre-K 
through 21 and now she's all just waiting for the birth of three to see how that works right. um, but something else you mentioned too that uh, i think it, it's like one of my favorite teacherisms and we all have them but uh sometimes we don't we don't recognize our own but i'm going to steal this one from mom because mom gave me the greatest teacherism and i use it all the time and i hate the fact that i have to give her credit for it because i know that she would get a big <laughs> head about it but uh she said don't point a finger at somebody else because when you do you're going to have three pointing right back at you and so when you start doing that you almost have to reflect on uh, your own faults and your own mistakes and that's how you grow and get better and so the fact that you're willing to be vulnerable enough to share that hey I, I messed up is really powerful because I know that you're going to use that to uh, to improve in the future so um, who's been the biggest influence on you Probably mom and dad, you know, I've, I've always shared that, um, they taught me more about being, uh, humble and, you know, just the ways to make relationships with people. Um, I've, like I said, told this story. I remember going with mom to Edison elementary and we'd always go through the janitor's room and talk with the janitors for a little bit. And then we'd go make our way to the main office and talk with the secretary and the, you know, whoever was there, you know, we didn't go straight to her room to start working. You know, we made time to make relationships and talk with people. And I remember going to games with dad and going, you know, up to school with him. And we'd always make time to talk with everyone. And, you know, it just, uh, the way they led by example, as far as, you know, really, encouraging or supporting all aspects of what makes the school go round, you know, that was um, pivotal, I think, in my development that my job isn't any better than anyone else's. And you need these other people to make your job easier. So make sure you stop by and talk with them and not just demand things need to be done, you know, and when you make those relationships, it just goes a lot easier in so many ways. It's so cool that you and I have that shared experience because I remember that specifically with dad when uh, I would go to games with him mm -hmm. and we would stop in the custodial break room and inevitably there was going to be food there and we would talk with uh, the secretaries and all of that and uh, I remember dad, t and I was just a little, little person, so it's not like this had... This, at the moment, it didn't feel like it was this sage knowledge, but it it has proven to be over time. And he he told me that, listen, without those people, this place doesn't run. I've got my role in the classroom, and I do what I need to do. But if we don't have custodians, if we don't have secretaries, if we don't have these people doing their jobs, this place doesn't run. And it was only years later when I actually got into education, my first teaching job, I modeled what he taught me and I introduced myself to the custodians and went around and met all the secretaries because again I knew that they were going to be pivotal for me being successful as well and I, I translate that into my job now as a principal that everybody serves a, a role in the organization they know what they have to do and without them we can't do uh, we can't do school the way that we want and so that's why it's important to, to honor everybody and share everybody's voice in this in fact one of the upcoming podcasts that I'm gonna have is actually with my secretary at work right now because when I asked her she said no I, this that's I'm not a teacher I said you're a teacher because you work in this building mm -hmm. you're a valued member of the staff and you have a voice in your story and people need to hear mm -hmm. hear that and so 
Um, it's so cool that you and I have that shared experience. And I, I agree, mom and dad did a phenomenal job of ingraining that in all of us. Yes, I agree. Um, so two important parts of the Own Your Epic process are to cultivate and curate your stories. And when you do those, you're able to amplify your own voice and your own story. Do you have a particular story that, that comes to mind to you all the time about, you know, that you want to tell people about your process of getting into education or your pathway into education? And if you do, what is that? You say it again. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. I'm going to pause it right here real quick. So when part of the Own Your Epic process is to curate and cultivate your stories, uh, not saying that everything has to be told and not saying that you're an open book about everything, but uh, selecting those particular stories that really have shaped you as an individual. Um, by doing so, you can amplify your own voice, uh, your own story, and uh, you can be relatable to others because they can um, share the experience with you. And so, do you have one of those stories that, that really resonates with you, that has kind of shaped you, that maybe uh, others can resonate with? Um, I don't know how many years I have been teaching, but I was still at the middle school, so maybe uh, three years. It was before I had kids. Um, because I remember it was after school and my friend Sarah Cranky and I were just uh, sitting around after school talking about the day and she and I were talking about this one particular student and uh, how the student's mother was kind of annoying us because she was constantly emailing about grades and one of those where we got an email before the grades were even or the minute the grades were entered type of thing. And so, I mean, I looking back now, I can't even tell you what the conversation was, but being a pretty new teacher, I can tell you we weren't like saying anything terrible. We were just voicing our frustrations or just, you know, having the end of the day conversation in our office. Well, what we forgot to uh, remember was that that student was outside of our office retaking a test, but we both didn't think anything of it because we're like, well, yeah, he's outside, you know, the door was closed. Anyway, the next morning we both get called to the principal's office and there was the mother and we got called out on uh, talking about her and he overheard us and we never knew what he heard. And we both were, you know, really new teachers and we were scared to death that we were going to lose our jobs. I mean, probably irrational thought at that point, but it's, what's also funny is Sarah and I have a birthday. It's a day apart. So this was May 17th. It's her birthday. My birthday was the day before. We both get called to the principal's office, you know, third year teaching. And um, had you ever been called to the principal's no, office, even as a student? No, I didn't even think so. as a student. But I felt absolutely terrible. And I do remember the mother saying, neither one of you have kids. How can you even like empathize with me? And I look back and I think, yeah, now that I do have my own kids, I'm a completely different teacher. And I do 
think about when I'm talking about my frustrations. You know, I'm, I'm not one that goes to the teacher's lounge and, you know, complains about things. And I pretty much keep to myself. And I, when I do have frustrations, I try to, you know, do that with a trusted adult, you know. But yeah, that was a, a pretty big moment that Sarah and I still talk about today that, you know, we felt bad. And, you know, maybe a part of it's because we really didn't know what we said that was so bad. But we got called out and the principal was there, the mother was there. And, you know, from then on, we were very careful about what we said and where we said it. <laughs> That's an amazing learning experience, though. I mean, obviously, you know, you hate going through that process and uh, you hate the fact that a kid overheard you talking about a parent and you hate the fact that you're, you know, you're taking it from the parent and rightly so because, but you fail forward. Yeah. You know, that was a failure, but you failed forward. And I know that you improved on that in the future. And so you're very cognizant about what's being said. And I think that is, you know, one of the, the really important parts of um, your story. It's certainly part of mine that, you know, we're fallible human beings. We make mistakes all the time. The question is whether or not you can own up to it and learn from it and move forward. And, you know, that's a perfect example of, of, of you doing that. So uh, I want to ask you something else regarding, um, you know, you're talking about new teacher. You were a new teacher when that happened. You know, you've been in the, in the classroom now for 20 some odd years and uh, you've seen a lot. You've been around a lot of other teachers. Um, this is not exactly the, the greatest time in the world to be a teacher trying to teach in a pandemic and doing all these different things. Social emotional health is, uh, and well-being is at an all-time low for, uh, for teachers because they don't necessarily uh, know what outlets they're going to, uh, to follow uh, or to utilize. What is, what's your best advice on social emotional well-being? Like how do you, how do you separate yourself uh, from Lynn the person versus Lynn the educator? How, how do you take care of yourself? How do I take care of myself? Yeah. Oh, you know, I uh, try not to base my identity on any one role that I have. And um, in a time where we are flooded with identity opportunities, I know as a 46 year old, I'm overwhelmed by some of the labels that are out there. And uh, I sometimes worry about kids having too many choices too young. And I can see both sides of it because I can see where putting a label on something gives you identity and gives you a purpose. But um, I also know that really knowing who you are and who, what your identity is, is um, what helps me stay focused. So I'm a mother, I'm a, a sister, a daughter, and I really take those two roles as being, you know, my top priority. And I am an educator, that, that, but that's not my number one identity, uh, like it probably used to be when I was first starting as a teacher. Um, and so I've, I found peace at limiting my labels of being, you know, all these things and just saying, you know what, I'm a person and I'm, you know, I fail and I, uh, I make mistakes and I'm not the best at what I do, but 
um, I'm real, you know, I'm, I'm living the life of a lot of mothers and um, people in this pandemic. So I think I'm relatable because I'm real about who I am and um, that I don't have all the answers. Well, it's so interesting that you talked about um, the different hats and the different roles that you have, because as you were as you were speaking, you know, it really resonated with me. And I think you know this about me. I'm a very driven person and I have a really tough time setting boundaries and expectations on my own time. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that and if you were to talk with Melanie or my kids, they might say that. Uh, I'm highly invested in my job as a building principal because I want to be a servant leader to the people that I am charged to lead. And that means that I want to make sure that if they need resources or support or if they have questions that I'm always there. And, you know, if the pandemic has really taught me anything, um, it's taught me to, you know, maybe reanalyze and reshuffle some of those priorities that, you know, it's all right to take care of your own mental health and well-being. Uh, and it's all right if you don't answer that email right now. It's all right if you don't get that done. You can slow down and you can still accomplish a lot, but it's just, uh, it's rewiring your brain for that. And so, um, and again, putting the priorities back into perspective that uh, teacher is just one part of the hat that you wear much like principles, just one part of the hat that I wear. Um, but I think that it's sometimes difficult for, uh, for teachers in particular, educators in particular, who in most cases were really good at school and they want their high achievers themselves. And they feel like if they don't excel at this, that they're going to be letting themselves down or their students down when in fact that is totally not the case because they're professionals and they're going to do their job. It's all right to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you don't fill up your own bucket, you certainly can't fill up others when you're empty. So, True. Um, so one of the, the last questions that I have uh, as part of this podcast is a question that I think is really, really important that, uh, that I ask all guests this because, uh, again, we are in a very difficult time in education where we have a lot of people who are leaving the profession and uh, there really isn't exactly a pipeline behind them of people wanting to come into the profession. And so I've made it a point to ask all of my guests, what advice do they have? Two sets of advice. What do you have for advice for those who are veteran teachers who are really just thinking about hanging it up? And you know, what do you have to say to them to stay in the profession? Because you've done it for over 20 years compared to what advice do you have for those who are maybe thinking about getting into the profession and what, what would you tell them to say, hey, be prepared for this? And I know they're not going to be making a lot of money, but what, what advice do you have? I've had a couple of opportunities to um, answer this question. And the first one is, is that I have been able to teach a master's level course for people who have a degree in something other than education and they come back to a master's degree program and get their teaching degree and their master's degree in the same year 
but these people are adults and have a biology degree or an art major or uh, a degree in anything. And then now they're coming into teaching because they see how rewarding it can be to share their passion with students. And so that's been uh, fun to be able to teach that class and see education through the eyes of someone who didn't go into it right out of the gate like I did. Like I only ever knew education, so that was what I was going to be. But these students, you know, non-traditional, if you will, uh, are coming to education with a, uh, I think, the right heart and mindset of saying, okay, yeah, I I know my stuff, but what am I going to do with it? And so they're usually pretty uh, excited and um, want to be there and are excited to get into education for that reason. So as far as me not getting burnout or me staying the course, I've had an opportunity to work with our Chamber of Commerce and other local businesses who have partnered with um, public education to do like internships in the summer. So I spent a couple of weeks at Hot Shops, which is a art gallery downtown. I spent a couple of weeks at um, a industry Novozymes in Blair, Nebraska one summer, and I got paid for it. But I got to see life outside of education because, again, that's all I've ever known. And the whole point of connecting teachers with those businesses was that the teachers could then go back to their classroom and have experience to say, hey, this is why you need to know this, or this is where this could play out. Or did you even know this job existed? Like you could have this job. Those are all things for me I didn't know existed. And so I spent several summers, you know, doing those internships just to see what else was out there. And, you know, maybe the time will come where I leave education and I go try something else. But for right now, those kinds of opportunities just kind of recharge me. And I know a lot of teachers just need the summer to wind down and not think about things. But I have found those experiences have helped me stay the course and find a little bit of a excitement um, back into my teaching practices because now I see, oh, I watched this person working and they were using these ratios every single day or this person was, you know, uh, doing this, that or the other and I could make those connections and I could tell my students about those things because I saw it in action. What advice do you have for the newbies coming into the profession? Oh, wow. I would say if there's anything you can do, like I remember being a sophomore in college and thinking, I have no business being in the classroom or I don't know what I'm getting into. And so I got a job as a sophomore as a para and uh, in Kearney at a middle school. And I think that those years in college being a para, that's my advice would be is while you're in school to be a teacher, I know that they require a lot more hours in the schools now compared to when I was in school but I would say as much as you can be around kids during that time to make sure this is really what you want because it is different (laughs) actually being a teacher than you know just getting up there and knowing your content because you could love math you could love art all you want but being a teacher is not just about knowing your content there's nothing worse than uh finishing your degree, spending all that money on a degree, and then finding out that you really don't want to be around kids. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and even some of my uh, students that I had in that master's class, I think, you know, 
some of the perceptions are, well, I have a degree in this, I can just go teach. No, you can't just go teach. <laughs> you need to know so much more uh, than your content level. And now more than ever, um, you know, I maybe back in the day, you could do 90% teaching and 10%, you know, behavior, you know, whatever. But it's a really fine line between relationship building and behavior management and teaching your content. I mean, there's so many more aspects of the profession than just knowing your content. All right, Lynn, so uh, I said that last question was the last question, but uh, I have one more for you before we end here. Uh, and I will, I'm not going to ask this question to any other guests other than my sisters. This is your one opportunity on a public prod podcast to share some dirt on your brother. Like what's, what's the, what's the one story about your brother that you feel like needs to be told? <laughs> wow. You got to keep it clean too though. Cause keep I don't, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I d didn't know at the time of growing up anything different than having three girls and a boy in a family. I don't remember you any specific things. I do remember some things, I guess, but now having four boys of my own, I can definitely say that I have four J's. <laughs> I am raising four J's and that gives me hope because you turned out okay. <laughs> They're going to turn out okay. But when it comes to some of the things I think about growing up with you, it's the same thing that I have as far as being strong-willed, being a workaholic at times, being, you know, I don't know, just so many things that independent. And that's the way mom and dad raised us. So the things that I can point out about you are the same things that I possess in a, you know, in the same degree, not the same degree. Like I feel like your, uh, you know, assertiveness and your strong will and independence shine more, you know, but I know as a kid, I see that in my own boys and I am so frustrated because they just are never wrong and they always have a comeback and they always, you know, want to, challenge everything but so i guess i really am not answering your question i'm not having any dirt on you i'm just saying that the skills that mom and dad raised us with uh, have proven to be you know good skills because i think all four of us are in successful jobs and uh, almost to a fault where we can't ask for help sometimes and we don't know how to um, delegate because we were raised to do things ourselves and do it the right way and work hard. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? It, it did. And it kind of, uh, led into my closing here that, um, you know, the fact that you and I are sitting down and having a 30 minute conversation about education, uh, after our childhood where you and I did not get along, of, of all of all four of the kids in the Dostal family, you and I fought like, uh, they were awful fights. And uh, you know, I, I'm sure that there were plenty of times we said some things to each other that uh, were not very helpful, <laughs> also really hurtful, mm -hmm. but 
I look at it now, and you and I have a great relationship, um, and I think a, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know, we uh, are in the same type of profession. Uh, we, we have very similar family values, and we raise our kids in very similar ways. And, um, you know, I, I like to end almost every podcast with an affirmation, and I need to tell you that I think you're a phenomenal teacher. I know that because I see how kids respond to your former students. I've actually seen it happen. But I also think you're a tremendous mother, and yes, you are raising four J's, and uh, they are very strong-willed young men themselves, but they are going to be excellent at whatever they do because they have a, a mother who models it on a daily basis, and so I applaud you for Thank that. Thank you. So that is the end of this Own Your Epic podcast. Thank you, Lynn, for, for being a guest. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you know, we will see you next time on the Own Your Epic podcast. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.